Hello and welcome to the Turned On Podcast. I'm Angelique Nori and my husband David and I have made it our mission to break the darkness by flipping the switch on the four most important areas of your life in health, relationships, business, and in faith. And sometimes the light in the world and in your life can go dim, either from the intrusion of technology or simply because society is so driven by instant gratification. It's our mission to help people see that we're hardwired for connection and that the best things in life come when we turn on the light to see with new eyes the opportunity that exists just a flip away. So if you're ready to stir your spirit, open your eyes, and profit in all areas of your life, then let's get turned on. Here we go. Welcome back to Turned On. I am Angelique Nori, and I am so excited for this interview. My husband, David, and I got a chance to sit down with one of our very dear friends, Lori Harder. Some of you may know her and might recognize her voice because she has an incredible podcast called Earn Your Happy. But we go over how this Midwest girl who was once a barista who lived in an overweight body in a fear-based religion turned her life around and into a fitness icon to then shake up the self-love industry through her books, events, her podcast, and the way that she shows up for the world. But what I love about this episode is we talk about how being turned on in all areas of her life really fully integrated and turned into what is now a profitable enterprise. So you're going to want to stick around. We're so grateful for you tuning in, and I know that you will not be disappointed. Here we go. Oh my gosh, guys, I am really excited because one of my, I don't even say one of, like we just, I call her my everything friend because Mm -hmm. she's been like the best friend, best sister, best, uh, what do we call that? I don't (laughs) even know, but she is literally my everything friend and she's been She's your very white, your first, your last, your everything. She is, she is my first, my last, and my everything, yes. See, that's why I have David here, to help me get out the thoughts that I can't, uh, <laughs> I can't verbalize on my own. So we have a very special guest, and many of you listeners, I'm sure, are already used to hearing her soothing, beautiful voice who could be on the radio with a top hit. I believe that, and I know you're probably going to actually record one one day. But it is my very good friend, Lori Harder, and she is... She's not um, our good friend? She's <laughs> is our good friend. She is our good friend. And her husband, Chris, also just dear, dear friends of ours, family more than anything. We like to say family, right? Um, So we're not blood relatives, but we might as well be. She is not only like a million time cover model and fitness entrepreneur turned self-love junkie and founder of The Bliss Project, but she's also an author and an epic podcaster, uh, an incredible renowned speaker, which fantastic at karaoke, unbelievable at karaoke. She's a great dog mom, beautiful wife. I mean, there's like the list is endless. One of my favorite ventriloquists ever. (laughs) (laughs) Not many people know that. 
but our beautiful everything friend, Lori Harder. Welcome to the Turned On Podcast. Oh my God, this is so fun to be on this side because you get to just, can we read, can you read the bio again? <laughs> we, that was, a, that was really off the top of my head. Ventriloquist, I wish I, I, re, I wish I was just sitting here as a puppet, like you couldn't see me. <laughs> Well, this is being recorded, so you never know it might end. Oh up well, I have my puppet, and my my mouth is not moving at all. You know, a lot of people don't know this, but is making a huge comeback. Oh really? Where's that? Where's that at? You might want I to have curve. It's coming. <laughs> Europe now. It's starting. Up it's like everything Europe. else hits New York, and then it's, LA. You, yep, Europe is where everything starts. <laughs> Oh. ventriloquism um i am so excited to be here you guys i like i'm pretty sure you probably should have started a podcast five years ago but oh. it's never too late and, and here we are because everyone needs your wisdom and your comedy <laughs> well it, thank you but the reason why it didn't happen five years ago is probably because what we're trying to talk to most people about these days is how to be profitable without losing yourself in the process and um mm -hmm. we had to be profitable in our business without having our family fall apart, our marriage fall mm -hmm. apart, uh, and, and our personal endeavors fall apart. Like we were literally ripping at the seams from life, but we had to keep our eyes focused on the most turned on areas of our life, which we talk about here. And that's, you know, faith, um, your health, home team with your marriage, family, community, and also the marketplace, which you've kind of mastered all of them. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. No, I'm just, I'm just thinking to myself because when, Lori, this concept of turned on really, especially in business, in life in general, is really being able to see with a set of new eyes. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason I'm so excited about having you on is because I know your story. I know the nuances. I know a lot of the little details. We've even been to some of the places where you and Chris first started out. So mm -hmm. when we think about that, the first question, when we talk about starting with new eyes and being able to see things beyond just the immediate, because that's a lot of times where people get stuck. I'm here mm -hmm. in this town and this job with, with this thing going on and I can't see the future. I go back to a girl who I remember when we went to the little coffee shop in Minnesota, oh, wasn't it? Or was it a, where, you, where you worked? No, Green Bay, Wisconsin. Was it in Green Bay? Mm, Green Bay. Yeah, so you told us about this, this girl in a coffee shop that was waking up at 4 a.m., working mm -hmm. the drive-through window, mm -hmm. and now I think to where you've come, mm -hmm. You probably knew you wanted something more. You probably saw it, but did you really? I mean, let's just mm. say that. When you were in that coffee shop, where did you see yourself? Mm, I mean, as lead barista, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, it, it's so bizarre because I think that we all, and I know you guys have this as well, I think that we feel something bigger but you don't necessarily see it at all. Like you just get a feeling around something. Mm -hmm. And I think that leads you to your next step. And a lot of times that next step feels so insignificant um, in the big picture that so many people don't even end up taking that first step because you're like, oh my God, how am I going to come from this coffee shop feeling totally uneducated, feeling like I you know, have massive anxiety, feeling like I can't break through to what I need to break through to. Um, and there were a lot of days, I'm going to be honest, like where you just, you, you kind of, you don't, you just get by. There's a, that's what a lot of growth looks like is what people forget is that you're going to move the needle forward some days and you're going to be doing things that are scary, but then you have like three or four days where you're just maintaining. 
like where you just feel like you're surviving and then you're like, okay, let's take the next step again. So I think for me, something that always pulled me through was moving my body because when I would move my body is kind of when I would reattach to some sort of vision some sort of new concept or some sort of new idea of what could be the next step. It was where I really started daydreaming and visualizing. And a lot of times it was even in the beginning around uh, fitness because it was the time that I actually felt good. So I was like, all right, if this is what makes me feel good, then why don't we see what we can do and what we can do? I'm talking in third person, David. Um, <laughs> like I have this team of me's in my head. Why don't we see what we can do in order to, in order to feel more of this? That's all I knew in the beginning. What can I do to feel more of this? So I was just piecing together what I could do. And it turned out that it was, it was um, working out more. It was, can I help people feel this way? Well, the only way I know how to feel better is to work out and eat better. So can I help people, um, you know, by helping them eat better and move better to feel better about their life? So that was my first step was I wanted to feel better myself. So I did the small things that started to make me feel better. And in turn, right away, I think what happens to a lot of people is when you start to feel better, you realize that to maintain that as well, it's not just about you feeling better, but you get this deep sense of wanting to be not so inside of yourself as much. When we start to feel better, we start to want to return that favor. Yeah. And following that is one of the most important things you can do because I think that a lot of times we think that in order in order to be able to teach people that we need to be at a certain place or have a certificate or have some sort of accomplishment. And for me, it never, that never stopped me. It, it made me afraid like, Oh, maybe I should have this or whatever, but I didn't really have a choice because I didn't have those things. I wasn't going to go back to college at the time. I knew that about me. Um, I had a lot of trouble learning. I had a lot of trouble in homeschooling. So I was like, this is not an option for me right now. But what I do know is that I can pay it forward and teach people how to work out. Like I can figure that out. So a lot of things that I did were just getting people together to go and move or to go and work out or put workouts on. And for me, that was a great way to be able to give back. And I also realized, um, you know, to be totally honest, like the only person that can tell you that you're ready, it's never going to be a degree. It's never going to be a certificate. It's never going to be someone telling you it's always just a choice. Mm -hmm, yeah. You can do whatever the hell you want. It's always just a choice to say, I'm anointing myself worthy and ready because we already are anointed, worthy and ready, right? It's just up to us to fully step in and be like, I don't need that thing, no matter what someone says, like I can start helping people by doing what, what do you know how to do? Yeah. What have you done for yourself? What dark place have you gotten yourself out of? So I think for me, it was always just those little things of how do I feel better? And then being able to, uh, you know, pay that for it. Cause what you're going through is what you're going to teach later. Yeah. So it's interesting because you know, you, we've, we've really not talked to you too much about this topic. You know what we're doing, but when Angelique and I laid this out, we really wanted it to be something that the easiest things that people could do to describe exactly what you just said, move the needle day by day. Um, mm -hmm. We described it as like a long hallway of your life. So picture that hallway being your career. You could have never seen the, the New York Times bestseller, right? Mm -hmm. Until you had to flip that switch on later on. But there was a thousand other light switches that you had to turn on metaphorically. And maybe it was just moving your body that day. Maybe it was getting people together. These were all the switches that you hit along the way. Um, that is the simplest things that we can do right here, right now. 
when point A and point B seem so far apart, like yeah. the, the mm -hmm. picture. So you kind of just really, I'm glad I asked you that question first because you, you nailed it yeah. without even knowing you nailed it. Well, and, and just like you said, it's this, what happens when you flip the switches, you actually break the darkness, right? Mm -hmm. so you said you're, you're coming out of a, what dark place did you pull yourself out of? You know, and it's different for everybody at different times of their life. Like the wattage is going to be higher or lower, you know, at times of your life with your health, your marriage, your career, um, your, your faith, you know, and we have to figure out how to navigate that. But sometimes like you said, you don't always see the end thing, but you might feel something and you're like, okay, I know there's got to be a, another area of this hallway. I know there has to be a deeper side of this, but right now I'm like an amoeba here and I have absolutely no idea how to get mm -hmm. to that level of evolution in my own journey. And so I guess when you were just sharing that, the first thing that came to mind was at what point you know, did, was there a new awakening where you're like, oh, there's another light switch here. It's not just me teaching people how to move their body and, and nourish their body through food. Like what, what point did you're like, mm, there's another, there's another level to this. There were a couple, um, you know, more than a, there were several, <laughs> um, there, there's so many, like some people can pinpoint times. I've been able to pinpoint multiple times. Um, for me, honestly, it came to a point in my life where I was doing those things, being able to really start paying it back, being able to, um, you know, getting my uh, personal training certificate and really starting to help a lot of people. And what I noticed was I couldn't really get them to get these results that I wanted for them if they didn't want it. And also I couldn't, change them if they weren't willing to look at what was actually stopping them. And it was their brain always. It was their mind. It was their beliefs. It was their mindset because I mean, I had some people working out with me five times a week. They bought all the meal plans. They did all the right stuff. They, you know, all of the things, but yet every Monday they'd come in and I'd say, how was your weekend? And they're like, you know, I was with my group of friends and I just went off the rails and I feel so depressed and I don't know what it is whenever I'm around them. This is what it happens and blah, blah, blah. And this was a huge like moment for me of, I am never going to change these people without adding some sort of an element of mindset and really giving them these people a space and making them realize that their environment and who they're around is who they are. And until they break that, until they create a new environment for themselves, until they start hanging around new people. And this was my journey, right? Like I knew growing up that if I didn't, this is one of the hardest things to say and to tell people, but it's just the truth. I knew that if I didn't spend less time with my family, that I could never break out of those beliefs. Mm. I knew it. And that's, you know, for a lot of people, they don't want to hear that because it's their family or their best friend, or it's that group that they grew up with, but you're not going to change because you're going to go back to the default of the level of your environment. You just are, you can't rise past them if you are with them all the time. So it doesn't mean that you cut them off, but it does mean that you're going to have to start creating for yourself a place where you spend more time, where they are thinking of bigger things, where they do have, you know, massive, they, they have possibility in their life. Like they are thinking much bigger. They're vibing a lot higher. Their energy is higher. They have hope. They have dreams. Um, otherwise you do, you default back yeah. to the old patterns. Yeah. We talk about what, uh, like a, a path of least resistance or a comfort zone, um, cruise control 
what you see, whether it be somebody's body, somebody's marriage, career, uh, their faith, what happens is, or their business, what happens is they get to a point where everything's okay. Mm-hmm. Everything's yeah. comfortable. And, and then they say, hey, maybe I don't want to be here the whole time. But what happens is you lose sight of it because you get really yeah. comfortable. So you and Chris have always done a really good job of getting yourselves out of that comfort zone. I've watched you guys kind of push each other, but there must be something innate in both of you that that has that because you're helping other people to do that now. But who helped you do that? Innate or or something that you've really just worked your craft in because mm. like I think we all maybe have it inside, but you guys did something to tap in. You know, and, but there wasn't a lot of personal develop. Let's let's face it, personal development in general, it's been around forever, but it mm-hmm. hasn't been this popular. Correct. So I'm talking about that time in Green Bay. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of people saying, "Hey, let me pull you out of your self. Let me let me show you a better way." What was it then? Yeah. Mm. Well, so I I still was wor- dealing with a lot of anxiety, um, like massive anxiety and panic attacks. So even though I was doing those things, I knew that I wanted to be the, the only thing that I saw at the time. And I'm going to be honest, was like Biggest Loser or Jillian Michaels or something like that. I knew that I wanted to be that for like source of. a a large source of inspiration on a grand scale. Mm -hmm. So for me, I looked around to see who that was. And that's what I looked at. I was like, okay, well, that's like a Jillian Michaels or that's someone on a magazine cover. That's someone who's out in the forefront, right? Speaking. And I I knew I wanted to speak as well, but I didn't know what I was going to say. And I also had massive panic attacks around the thought of public speaking because I couldn't even go to dinner with a group of like five people without needing three cocktails before I felt like I could have attention on me because that ran really deep with getting negative attention as a young child, a young kid, where in middle school, because of my religion and because I was overweight when I was younger, it was like the second I would get attention, I related it to bad attention because it would be being made fun of or it would be being bullied. So for some reason, like anytime there was attention on me, I would just start to panic. And that's the only thing that I can kind of pinpoint it back to, uh, you know, after like really trying to break it down. And so I knew that I was going to have to overcome anxiety. So at the time, uh, because that's what I wanted to do was be something that I knew would be in the public and I wanted to enjoy it instead of having, you know, freak out moments over it. And at the time I was like, well, how does one overcome anxiety? So I went to a doctor because I was like, you go to a doctor to talk about it or ask about it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, is there a therapist that I can, you know, maybe talk through this with or whatever? And they're like, oh, you don't, you know, this has nothing to do with a therapist. You just need anti-anxiety pills. So I got put on anti-anxiety pills while I was getting massive side effects from it. And they're like, oh, we're going to put you on another one because this helps counterbalance these other side effects. So at the height of it, I was on three different, (laughs) I was on beta blockers. You know what those do? Mm -hmm. You can't get your heart rate above like, I think it's like 80 or 90 beats per minute. Well, I was a person who loved to work out. So we would be like on a walk or I'd be walking up a flight of stairs and I'm like, I can't work out the same. And one day I was watching a commercial that was really sad. And it, it made me ask myself, um, this crazy question because I wasn't feeling anything. Like Chris was coming home. I was eating bowls of pasta at night, which was so not like me. And he's like, do you want to work out? I'm like, no, (laughs) this is so not like me. And I asked myself this question. I was like, if everyone that I loved died in a plane crash, could I feel sad? And my answer was no. I couldn't feel anything. And the next day I went off all of those medications at once. And it was a moment 
where, which don't ever do that. And by the way, some people absolutely need medication. Mm -hmm. Um, it can be so helpful for some people, but for me, that's not what I needed in the first place. So the next day was like a train wreck for like the next three or four days. Cause you can't go off those medications without having massive, like, um, withdrawals and just, you know, crazy things, which were all happening at work. And I was thinking I was so sick, but I had, you know, those real awakening moments after that, where I was like, Oh my God, I have to face it. Like there is no band aid. There was no cover up for me. There was like, you have to figure out what this is. And for me, looking back over my history, it was like, well, you've just never done it. And you've just put so much fear on these things that you're going to have to do. You're going to have to start doing scary stuff. So I started looking around at what is scary. For me, it was um, you know, actually doing, uh, fitness competitions and getting out in the world. It was having conversations with people that I wanted to connect with. Um, and the first thing that I got asked to do, that was like my big, huge, scary thing that I remember. I got asked to host a, uh, fitness competition, like do the speaking part. So I was hosting it, introducing everyone, doing all of those things, running that. And it was the scariest thing I've ever experienced in my life because I had to be up there speaking instead of just being on the stage. Mm. And I realized afterward, you know, before all the, which by the way, if anybody has something that feels big and scary, it's real. It was like four straight weeks of just not like thinking, wanting to run, um, thinking this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. Um, so many different emotions are going through your mind that you just want to retreat. And I ended up doing it. I did it nervous. I did it with my voice shaking. I did it pretty badly. Um, <laughs> it did not go really well. Um, but at the end I was like, I survived. And if you can be okay with accepting even the worst case scenario, and I think that's something that I do to this day, is no matter what happens, I can accept worst case scenario, even if that means falling flat on my face, even if that means that I'm going to throw up on stage, even if that means whatever that means, because if you can accept that, you'll be able to get through anything. And I always say to myself, if, if that's what happens to me, if I fall on stage, if I pass out, someone must have needed that or it was meant for my evolution. I love that. We, um, we like to talk about capacity a lot. And, um, you know, cause I think, I know it might be semantics to some, but there's potential and then there's capacity and like we all have a potential, but we have current capacity that either allows for us to move to the next level, or we have to, like you say, maintain right now until the next level evolves. And, mm -hmm. um, and so you realize that like you had the capacity to do it, deep down inside, you're like, I do not want to do this at all, but you weren't going to die in the process. Right. Mm -hmm. so you, you knew that you, you could perform. And we, I likened it to, uh, I mean, it's crazy. It was at the physical therapist and he was talking about the capacity of, you know, working out a, a muscle group when you are injured. And, and I was like, oh my God, it just, it blew my mind because I was thinking about how we talk about capacity in this world. Mm. And he said, you just have to find your capacity. So like, say for instance, I give you a bicep curl and that weight just makes the ligaments hurt and the joints hurt. He goes wrong weight, drop the weight, but then we drop the weight and then you can do it in the bicep burns, but the ligaments feel fine. He's like, great. There's your weight. You know, you're 94 mm. sets of 12 and you work through that until that is no longer you know, the work that you need to be doing and it's time to move on. And mm -hmm. so it sounds like once you got to that point, 
you broke through something and, and it, you know, it awakens another part of you. Like it turned the light on mm-hmm. another part of you. So it's almost like, okay, there was this, there's this dark, you know, there's a dark corner, you know, inside of your soul and you turn the light switch to mm-hmm. then take you to the next level. And now, I mean, it's taken you to heights that, I mean, we all knew what you were capable of, you know, watching you, but the, seeing where you're going now, it's, it's just so, it's humbling, it's marveling, it's mind-blowing, it's it, like you're proud. I mean, we're just so proud of you mm-hmm. um, because, but we also know you on the, you know, a very, you know, deep in, you know, level of, you know, we see your crazy side, we see, you mm-hmm. know, we see your funny side, we see everything. And so to see you do that, knowing what you've moved from is just, it's beautiful to watch someone understand capacity and move mm-hmm. through that and to live like a true, you know, turned on life in all areas. And, you know, we talked about a little bit before the podcast, you know, just the, the big four, we talk about, you know, faith, body, home team, marketplace, but, you know, you, um, you talk a lot about community in your book, a tribe called bliss. Um, but, you also are big in belief and in business. And mm-hmm. so I asked you before, I was like, well, how about we talk about both and how faith can be a very profitable enterprise. So just can you, can in your own words, just kind of relate how those two are in, are integrated and cohesive and they're not separate. Mm. I mean, they are everything to be honest with you i think when you tap into uh, so this goes a little bit um back into what we were just talking about i think that our whole journey is to have faith and trust ourselves because i think that we are made from god we're made from something far bigger than us like we are literally made from something that has unlimited potential yeah So when we trust that, when we actually, there's a difference saying when we trust it and like actually when the time comes to actually trusting that, right? When you know you are following your authentic path and you have faith in these feelings that you are being given, in these visions you're being given, you are never being given a vision that you cannot fulfill, that you cannot reach. And having faith means truly taking the first step to do that and leaning into that. And also knowing that sometimes that vision was given to you for you to go that way and fail and have something else open. So faith also means to continue having faith, not just on the good days, but have full-time faith in those darkest times or when things are failing and turn that into the story of, I'm still faithful because this failure was actually meant to open a new door for me or give me some sort of uh, experience or evolution to where I'm actually supposed to go. Mm -hmm. So full-time faith truly means having faith through every single hour. Um, Even when you're like, wait, I thought I was given a vision to pursue and that I'd never be given a vision I couldn't do and yet I failed. Well, sometimes that vision is a carrot and you were meant to go there anyway because it was going to, your vision, the vision is going to be even bigger. Mm -hmm. So once in a while, we put a cap on ourselves by getting a vision that was nece- that sometimes this other thing was meant to actually get us to a more grand place. So with that being said, when we lean into that, I fully believe that when we are following what we're meant to do, that you also energetically will be taken care of. 
and everything is all the same in this universe. Like it's all created by God. It's all created by whatever you believe the universe, whatever it's, it's all just energy. So if you have faith, you also uh, will be supported and support comes in the form of money. A lot of times it comes in the form of so many different things. So I believe that when you are following through with what you're meant to do, you also have to know that there's the piece where you need to um, pay that forward or be getting paid for a service that you're doing. So I think that is, that's been huge on my journey of putting those two things together is understanding that this is why I'm here is to actually serve in this way, but also be supported monetarily and to teach people that these two are the same exact thing and how vital that is for people to learn that it's not just about, you know, do this thing and give back, but you're going to be so freaking exhausted because you're going to be bending over backwards and giving back so much that you have nothing left. And then you're going to start getting sick. And then you're going to start to get super resentful of all these people who are just take, take, taking because they don't actually put a value on your services. Like it's money also creates an energetic boundary for the right people. Um, and it's all, it's all intertwined. So explain that a little bit, because I, I know what you're saying, but when you say it creates an energetic boundary for the right, mm. because I feel a lot of people get stuck in this and, you know, even because oftentimes our mission is like ministry work and they're like, well, how, how am I going to monetize something that I'm so passionate about? Or how am I going to monetize something I care so deeply about? You know, I can't ask for something for money for something that that comes so easily to me or that I love so much because it becomes very ministry like and they don't know how to interchange the two financially because that's a tough, mm. it was tough, tough for us David you know it has been it's I think it's tough for a lot mm -hmm. Oh my God, it's, it's still tough for me because it's always, it's always a lesson because there's, there's different levels, right? Because as you move forward and, and I'll talk about that first and then we'll connect the dots backwards. It's like, as you, as you start to really like get your zone of genius, you start to know what you're truly capable of. Like right now, I'm really highly aware that if I am going to do really good, like really, let's call it like my greatest, most elevated work that I am going to have to really, um, get a lot of downtime, recharge time, nature time, prayer time, time for myself. And what that means is if I'm going to be doing something, I'm going to put so much of my all into it. And I'm going to take all of those things and those lessons and that time and that nurturing that I've put into myself and I'm going to be able to put it into the thing. But what that also means is I'm going to have to charge more because I'm not doing a lot more necessarily work with people, but I'm doing so much work out in the world. I'm collecting experiences and knowledge for them. And you also have to realize how important that is because they don't have time for that yet. You are literally doing all of this hunting and gathering um, and self-work and really tough stuff, actually creating boundaries, all of those things that you're now going to have to get paid for, paid for. So you have to charge a higher amount and you're collecting data at a much higher, faster rate. You're having trust, you're having faith, you're doing things that are basically higher dollar, right? Higher energy things, which means higher dollar things for other people. So 
if you are not going to be doing, you know, working a ton of hours for people because you're collecting new data and you're going to be bringing it back, you also have to charge more. So that's kind of the space where I'm at right now is if I'm going to be doing something in the world, I have to charge more because there's so many other things that I'm, I'm doing that I don't have, if, if I'm going to be working certain hours um, with people, I'm going to have to charge more at this time. Mm. So that might've just been confusing. I confused myself. Um, <laughs> but as far as being um, in the beginning what you have to do is you have to try some things on and you have to know how it feels because you guys, I will tell you in the beginning when I was first charging for when I, when I went more into self-development, um, and I created, I don't know if you remember the beginning when I created like my first e-course, I created the bliss habit and I was transitioning from fitness into the self-development world. I was like, this is where I want to be. Oh my gosh, this pivot is so scary. Is anybody going to buy this thing? So looking back, I had truly created a course that at, for at the time in the marketplace probably could have been priced between, uh, maybe $599 to maybe like $1,200. Mm. And in the beginning, because I did not have that, um, experience, I didn't have that trust in myself. And I also wanted more people in this course. I priced it really low. I priced it at like $69 or something like that. I remember, I remember. 59 or $69. And Looking back, that was the perfect price because number one, I needed to build um, trust in myself and I needed to, I needed to price it at a price where I felt good being out in the world marketing it. So that's what you have to think about. At what price will you feel like you can run through a wall and get so excited marketing what you know is so valuable to you? And in the beginning, I didn't know my value. So a lower number was the price. And to be honest with you, what ended up happening was I did run through a wall with it. And it did end up serving the purpose that I wanted because we got thousands and thousands of people into that course over the launches of, I think we did three or four different launches with it. And I think it ended up being like 3000 different people went through that course because I felt energetically aligned with the number. And to be honest with you, it was already a push for me to even get that course out. So one of the things we say is feel energetically aligned, but then push it just a little bit from there. Um, but make sure that, yeah, you are going to run through a wall in the marketplace. Because if I would have priced it at $5.99, I think I would have felt like a total fraud. Like, I don't think I would have been marketing it. I, I would have energetically not felt right about it. I would have probably not gotten the right people in. So in the beginning, there are different, th there's different points of how you're going to price things. Yep. But then all of a sudden when you're out in the world and you have a track record now, right? You have thousands of people or hundreds of people. It doesn't even matter. You have people who have been transformed. Mm -hmm. Now you have a track record that you can trust. You can take these transformations. You can talk about them. You can do those things. Um, and as you move forward, you'll notice that you can only serve really well at a certain capacity and you have to figure that out. And your capacity is going to be totally different than other people's. And you also have to know at what price point, this is a good one for me. This is what works for me. Where do I need to price my time in order to really feel like I can be in full service and not resentful? Huh. For me, the it just wrote the word down. resentful. Yes. <laughs> because you actually said that to me in my living room mm -hmm. in Scottsdale, Arizona, when we were pricing something, you were like, you have to ask yourself, what's the price that you're yeah. going to be willing to show up energetically without feeling resentful. And that stuck with yeah. me forever. And you, we all have that price and we don't even know we have it until we really sit with it. And you're like, okay, if 
this was the price and this many people came in and this is the time that I know I'm going to have to invest in this. How am I going to feel showing up over and over for these people if I'm not getting paid for it? And let me tell you, when you push yourself to a higher price point, you show up. Like you prep for that call, you get ready, you read another book, like yeah. you say the prayers, you do the thing because money isn't, is an energy that helps us show up. Money's like a deadline. It's like exactly the same. It carries that same, um, it, it carries that same kind of pressure, you know, and I know there's a, a beautiful quote about how pressure is actually a privilege. So you need to create, um, like a positive pressure for yourself to show up or we don't, we're human, right? Our lower selves will take over. So creating that pressure for yourself through money is one of the things that I've always done. Interesting. Um, you know what? So what we're kind of saying here, and we've touched on a little bit about your fitness. We've touched a little bit about now the business and we touched a little bit on your faith. So let's take the same concept. You know, what you felt you were worth at the beginning of your launch compared to what you're, you know, we're talking about charging. Now let's take that into a marriage. You know, you mm -hmm. and Chris have been married for what, 12 years now? 13? 13. Yeah. So I'll paint the picture. I remember being at the, in the hotel room, your parents were there, Chris's parents were there. <laughs> we were celebrating your 10th anniversary. You know, talk a little bit about how your marriage has evolved, what you guys were relying on each other for those first couple of years. And I'm sure, yeah. I know we have some stories about you guys love to party and I know you still love to party. <laughs> But how has it evolved? I mean, because your your business partners, and I think the thing I most respect about these two guys, for you out there listening, the thing I most respect about them is how they push each other as a couple, and yeah. and that's mm -hmm. where we got it from. Like if if Angelique and I said we had business mentors to do this business as a couple, it was definitely Chris and Lori Harder. We totally. tried to emulate them. We saw what they were doing. We listened when they spoke, mm -hmm. and you guys have come so far in thirteen years. So just kind of give us a juxtaposition of what it looked like at the beginning, maybe in the middle and, and now how it's changed. Oh man. I mean, the beginning, that was so long we were still babies, you know? So in the beginning it was just like, Oh, you like to party. I like to party. <laughs> we're going to party. Um, but wait, hold on. I, I like that because that's so true. But yeah. again, there's a lot of people who say that. And two years later, like we're partying, they're partying in different States because they got divorced. Yeah. So there must have been something other than that. And, and, I, and I know that, that was, there's more. They found the new switch. Um, <laughs> you know, I, we, both of us always had a vision for our lives since we were little. We didn't know what it was, but we always knew there was something bigger. And we were dreamers together. Now, in the beginning, those dreams were just vacations, you guys. Like, it was like, oh, you know, we want the big house. We want the vacations. We want the cars. But we also wanted a great relationship. Like... I guess that was the picture. If, if you would go back to, you know, 21 year old me, 24 year old me, when 21, when we met 24, when we got married, um, it was really like, we just wanted the, like the happy picture, whatever that looked like, like both two people fulfilled, didn't even know what that meant because it, it's, it always means something different. What, what fulfillment means to me this year is gonna look totally different the next year, it just is. And we get stuck on these visions of what we think it is and we forget to uh, connect and ask each other what they actually are now. And that's actually a tradition that Chris and I hold every year now is to be like, what's your new vision? 
And we we do it even more than a year because it it changes within a year even. So what's the new vision and how can we align on that? Because that's always important to us. Like what's your vision? What's my vision? What's the vision together? And how are we going to align with each other to support each other's vision, even if they're wildly different? Um, So that's such an important conversation. What I'm finding is that um, we started having more conversations, thank God, because, uh, because Chris knew how to communicate long before I did. He grew up communicating with his mom who went to school to be a psychologist. So like everything was about, you know, wanting to kind of talk it through. And she really understood how to create those spaces for him to talk. And for me, in the beginning of our marriage, I dealt with problems by retreating. Um, cause that's all I had seen. You know, if there was a problem in my house, one party would leave, someone would lock themselves in the bedroom. So guess how I coped with things. Mm-hmm. I, when we were first married and we fought, I would scream, I would, you know, freak out, I'd leave the house or I'd go lock myself in a bedroom. And one day he was like, um, if you leave, we were fighting. He's like, if you leave this time again, don't come back. And he was serious. He was like, because we can't work problems out like this. And I knew it was a real ultimatum because for him, we were not working through problems and things were mounting. And, you know, I didn't like who I was. So I was, you know, picking different fights and he wasn't really happy with he was, but he also had this communication background um, where he understood if you're going to solve something, you have to talk about it. So that was the first time that we were like, dang, this is, if we're going to stay together, he's going to make me talk. Like we're going to have to talk things through. So that was the, I think that was the saving grace to everything that we've ever done is um, in the beginning. Yeah. It was just for, you know, wanting to paint some sort of vision of a great life together. Didn't even know what that was, but as the years went on and we went through so many different things, I think the communication piece for us is what really um, started to change everything. And also it was that point where we lost everything early on in our marriage. Um, so you can't necessarily plan these things and I can't give advice to everybody because I think certain things are happening for you that you really have to look at your life and be like, what's happening for me right now. That's bringing me closer together to my spouse, or it's bringing me to, it's forcing me to meet my higher self. It's forcing me to make my higher self come out. And that's what happened is we lost everything. And, um, it forced us to communicate every single day. It forced us to decide and say, what do we want to do? Do we want to support each other? How how do we want to move through this? What is this going to look like? Um, and that made us really get clear on how we were going to get out of that and what we wanted our life to look like moving forward, because we were building for money. We were building for this dream. And all of a sudden, when you have it ripped out from underneath you, you kind of realize maybe that wasn't the dream, or maybe that's not the thing that's going to make you feel fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, here's the thing. If you asked every single couple who went to the altar together, uh, is communication going to be important and talking through things? I think a hundred percent would say yes. So yeah. what's the difference between knowing it? Cause we all know it and actually doing it. What is it an ultimatum? And how can you prevent people from getting to that point? If there's anything that is on your heart at the end of the day, it has to come up and out Mm -hmm. and you have to create a space for it. So you want to know the difference? You create a space for it every day. And I've asked this to couples, like what's made you work? And they're like, you know what? We eat together every night and we end up talking about everything. Or we ask everybody, I just asked the family this. I was like, what's the key to like your super happy family? And they're like, 
we or, or I said, how do you stay so in tune with your kids? Like, you know, as they're going through so many things and you guys have such an open line of communication and they were talking about at the dinner table, they go through and ask questions. They're like, you know, what came up for you today? Was there anything challenging? What was a big win? Is there anything else you want to share? And, and then they kind of just leave it and they ask some more questions and it's like, they let them be quiet, but they also kind of, you know, guide the conversation. So I think that's something Chris and I have always done is we created a space and we created that space through walking every day. It's a non-negotiable. We started to realize our life was transforming. We were truly manifesting things. We were connecting. We were thinking, you know, we were doing gratitude walks. We were thanking God. Our problems were coming up. We were working through fights on walks. Like it was insane what was happening. And I'll tell you, if I didn't have them, we would not be together because I would keep things in. I would hold it in. I'd be resentful. I would um, probably not share with them because it doesn't feel right to bring up topics sometimes when you're just like in your house or, you know, maybe they're working and it's a bad time. Like there, there's timing to things and you need to create a space where your guard is down a little bit more and you have to figure out what that is. That's awesome. I, I totally agree. You know, uh, in my book that I'm researching, the, there's actual statistics and there's actual studies on dinner table conversation and how important yeah. it is to do that. Um, because everybody, again, that's one thing everybody knows. Hey, it's good to have dinner together. But there's mm -hmm. actually statistics. There's, there's studies that show how important it is, especially for young kids to communicate. And I know, mm -hmm. you know, as a Sagittarius, that we'd probably, when we mm -hmm. get into an argument, we'd probably like just have like a song fight. Like, I'll play the <laughs> song and... <laughs> And for me, I'm picking love as a battlefield and I'm going to sing these lyrics and then you go with yours and then we could just bring it that way. But nothing done that Perfect. Way. Right. <laughs> you know, what's really funny is it is like all these different things that I'm learning about life that are so crazy. Like our dog has probably also helped save our marriage because she, d she did force us on walks in the beginning. And then the other funny thing is sometimes you bring up stuff in funny ways. Like I say things to Chris in Waffles voice through Waffles. I'm like, you know, Brad's kind of a work today. What's going on? Like <laughs> that's, that's dad's kind of a jerk today. What's going on? And, what <laughs> and it's kind of funny how you start to, you can make light of things that are heavy sometimes. And you can do that by creating a, a playful, you know, um, energy in your house every day. You can do that by creating those space, the creating those spaces. Like literally, if you don't have the spaces, the conversation will come up. So like you said, David, um, you know, dinner time, if you, people have kids who are way younger, like I've heard a lot of people say they really block out like an hour of just playtime or wind down time in the evening or tucking kids into bed or whatever that is, you know, that, that works for you guys, but actual carved out in your calendar time or it will, it won't happen. Yeah. And so that doesn't have to be overwhelming. So like you said, around the dinner table or a walk, or, I mean, I notice, you know, just with our children, how much better the evening goes if it's a, you know, distinct bath, bedtime story, bedtime. Mm -hmm. you know? And that's, mm -hmm. that makes it, the whole night, the week, everything is so much better because of the cascade effect of something so seemingly insignificant, mm -hmm. but so big in, in relationship. And, um, you know, I just, I love, I love that you make light of everything. I, mean, I know David and I have 
We tried a lot of different things. Remember, I had, you had the communication unitard that I used to wear, and every time we <laughs> I had to put on a unitard and that let her know that I was ready to talk, and it just seriousness of it. You know, you know if it, it works, it makes you laugh. I think that success in anything uh, is always on the other side of a really tough conversation. Uh, always, hands and, down. And I found my voice in all those relationships through my relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Like the more vocal I got with God, the more vocal I could be at home. Because mm. like I was able to exercise courage in the most safe environment when before it would be like just this silent place where you go and you say it in your head because you're afraid of your own voice and what you have to say. And, mm -hmm. and so prayer for me is so important when I speak it out loud because you know, we through hearing our faith increases and it builds us up. And so mm -hmm. hearing myself, hearing that communication out loud. And I know David, you know, mm -hmm. in our marriage, like when I pray out loud over him, like I'm able to actually communicate things in our marriage through prayer over him. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a safe environment, you know, and, and it's, I'm not calling him out. I'm not trying to change him, but I want maybe helping him with patience or sensitivity or yeah. discernment. Dear God, please let my husband not, not be such have a, such a short temper. Not be such a jerk. <laughs> You're like, this isn't my message. This isn't my message. This isn't from me. I get it. <laughs> I understand. But it's in, in business too. Like your success in business. Like it's the other side of a tough conversation. Mm -hmm. Boundaries are created where, where standards are, are set. Um, and we don't lose ourselves in the process by shrinking down. Because somewhere in our life we felt that stifling our voice would be the way to create the peace. And mm -hmm. for me, that was what I did my whole life, a people pleaser, you know, and yes. all that does is create an internal war. And so if any of those things are ever going to come to light, you, you gotta know how to open your mouth. And let me tell you one of the, one of the biggest things, everything that you just said is so exactly my life to a T. And I think that, one of the challenging things in the beginning is you're like, wait, if I'm faithful and I'm following this path and my authentic path and I'm praying and I'm doing all the things like this should feel good, except it usually doesn't in the beginning. Yeah. Like it's usually one of the most challenging things you'll do. Or I don't know about you guys, but when you're like, what is the right decision? Like sometimes the right decision feels like the worst decision in the world. And you're like, there's no, I don't know if you've had these moments. Well, I know you have where you're like, there's no winning here. So I have to make the best possible decision in this scenario and it doesn't feel great, but you have to go with what feels in alignment with your truth. Like you have to have faith that what feels right to you is going to turn out okay. And a lot of times it is a really turbulent wave. It doesn't feel good. You lose people sometimes or, you know, it's, it's one of the most challenging things. And, and I think that people get really stuck there because they think that if we're good people, it should feel good and we should never hurt anyone's feelings. And one of my friends, um, Rachel Luna says, um, you have the permission to disappoint people and to, um, you know, to offend people as long as it's in your truth. As long as you know it is in your authentic truth, give yourself the permission to disappoint and offend. And that was one of the most freeing things that I've ever heard because it's like, you think that if you're doing the right thing and you're in your truth, that it should feel good for everyone. And it doesn't because a lot of other people aren't in their truth. So, or it's 
you offending them or disappointing them is actually meant to be on their path because they might need someone close to them to disappoint or offend them to learn compassion or to learn forgiveness or to learn that there's no energy left in this particular thing and they need to redirect or they need to go somewhere else. So there are so many times in life where you might have to let someone down, you might have to hurt someone and it might be because it's you might be the relationship and the person who has to deliver a tough message for them. And in turn, it's a, it's a beautiful lesson for you. And when I know that I'm like, Hey, this is, I know this is, you know, the best thing for my path. So it must be the best thing for their path. Even if it turns out ugly for a while, it's going to be great on the other side. And I can honestly tell you that even the toughest, hardest, most awful things where, you know, relationships have fallen apart or I've felt terrible or people have gossiped or backstabbed or done terrible things. It's always been the best thing for me. It's always ended up being the best thing that's ever happened to me. So now I can finally see this on the other side, but that's what helps me moving forward is knowing that. Well, I think you and Chris have always done a great job of really finding the light in any situation. You know, you're, you've always been, as far as I've known you, glass half full type of people, which is really cool. And it's really good to be around. So that being said, you know, as we get ready to kind of wrap this up, I want to ask you two quick things. Um, in the future, you know, what do, what do you think has been, uh, our, our biggest thing to be excited about in the next couple of years, and that could be something personally or as a society, what are you, what are you really pumped about in the next couple of years? And on the flip side of that, what are you most concerned about? Like, what do you see like us really needing to, to focus either yourself or as a society in general? So what's the good that you're excited about? Mm -hmm. and, and what do you think we need to focus our attention on? Yeah. And these are good questions. Um, <laughs> Okay, what's something? No, no, I'm just well, I mean, it could <laughs> no. New projects coming out, and uh... um, what's the good that we need to? Uh, you know, I think that if more, this is for me. So I'm I'm speaking just to myself right now, but I think that whenever we do that, it speaks to a lot of people. Um, so I think that knowing that there's always more. We always have so much untapped potential and that we do, we should be always striving to reach our highest potential, um, and get uncomfortable, but also the importance of, I really believe that God's just like, Hey, make sure you enjoy life at the same time. So being really present and having massive compassion, um, I think is so important because I think especially as, you know, uh, as this whole just movement of women really coming up, I think it's so important also that we don't forget to have just massive compassion for each other, um, to remember all of the incredible people, men supporting us. I think it's so important to um, not judge people for the path that they're on because it's so easy to look at someone and, and judge them or be like, why are they that way? Or why, what is this person doing? Oh my God. But they're on that path to teach something. Like they have to go through it in order to teach something. So I think being present, having massive compassion, um, attempting to reach our highest potential while also enjoying life. Like those are huge themes for me right now. So hopefully that helps somebody as well. Cause that's just a massive theme for me is to always remember in all of the striving and helping people and also wanting to, you know, do all of these different things to, to remember to stop and enjoy because life is going by so fast. Mm -hmm. I mean, like 
you ever just scrolled through your phone and you're like, wait, how does my phone have like eight years of pictures on it already? It's insane. Yeah. It's flying by and it's only going to get faster. And I really believe we're, we're here to enjoy. We are. We are, and we have really enjoyed talking to you, but we always do. It's just that the time <laughs> to record it for everyone else to hear. So it was kind of like a million flies on the wall that got a chance to listen to our conversation. Lori, where can, um, I know where I can find you, but where can everybody, <laughs> where can everybody else find you? Um, at this coffee shop on 15th and Montana. Uh, <laughs> uh, you may never know. Yeah, exactly. Crazy. Just kidding. Um, so I am on Instagram mostly at Lori Harder, but also just LoriHarder.com. Yeah. And is there anything that you would like to share with them that you have right now? I know that A Tribe Called Bliss has been out since, has it been a year? A year. It was a year. Exactly a year. It was its one year birthday, like a couple weeks ago, a week ago. Feels like yesterday. And also after the first Bliss Project, you pulled me aside. Are you going to write a book? And I was like, "Um, yeah, (laughs) but not right now. And you're like, I'm going to write a book. I'm like, okay, go ahead. (laughs) Go ahead. There she goes. Six years later, I had one. That's when people are like, wow, it feels like overnight you've done so much. I'm like, really? It's been like 10 years, you guys. Let's, uh, let's but it's be real. Lives. And that's what happens. People, you know, time's going by and it's inevitable, but what are you going to do in the process? So um, mm-hmm. your book is doing beautifully. Your podcast, Earn You're Happy on iTunes, doing beautifully. Um, we're so proud of you. And if you are hearing Lori for the first time, make sure you check out her podcast, subscribe uh, to earn your happy and her husband, Chris, who also has one <laughs> for the love of money, Chris Harder. Um, but your book is changing lives. And, um, in the, the way that, I mean, I knew that was going to happen because you've changed ours. So yeah. I, I know what a special gift you are to this world. And I just want to thank you for sharing your gifts with the world mm. by working within them. So, um, thank you, Lori, for being on and we love you dearly. And we're so proud of you and we can't wait to see what's next for you. Oh, I love you guys. I'm so grateful for you. I'm so glad you're doing this. And now it just, I'm like, can we just do this together every week? This was great. (laughs) We can. You never know. You do never know where life is going to go. Follow the energy. All right, guys. I love you so much. Thank you, guys. I love you. All right.